today. <clears throat> we'll be speaking on the topic, why vipassana, why vipassana, or why insight, why insight meditation. You've all come here in order to study Dhamma and study and practice Vipassana. Yesterday we spoke about why Dhamma and today we will speaking of, we'll be speaking about why Vipassana in this second talk. we speak in broad and general terms, we can say that the reason for practicing vipassana is in order to have the eye of life. The eye of life is I spelled E-Y-E. We practice vipassana in order to open this eye of life. We all have physical eyes in which to see on the physical level. These are the two eyes within our face, part of the body. But these are not sufficient. We also need to have a spiritual eye, an eye that is able to see life, to able to look at, observe, and finally see life as it really is. And so this is why we practice vipassana. It's not enough to have the physical eyes. We also need the eye of life so that we are able to understand life and then live and act correctly according to the different matters and situations that occur in life. It may seem kind of funny to you that we close our physical eyes in order to open the eye of life. Most of us, when we meditate, we close our, our eyes. We do this in order to screen out physical disturbances, external disturbances, which may make it difficult or which may interfere with this opening of the eye of life. So we close our eyes to facilitate the opening of the eye of life. These physical eyes cannot really be depended upon and so it's just as well to close them at least some of the time. The physical eyes deceive us. They lead us to believe things that don't really exist and so we close them in order to open the spiritual eye. The spiritual eye is an eye that doesn't work on the physical plane, but sees 
things as they really are, which penetrates to the, the deep reality of things, to see that they are impermanent, anicca, unsatisfying and suffering, tukha, and that they are not self, they are not soul, anatta. This is what this spiritual eye is about, seeing the things the way they really are. If we really see things, not only are they seen as impermanent, unsatisfying, and not self, but they are seen as just thus, just the way they are, thusness or suchness, which the Buddha called tathata. The spiritual eye will perceive the datata of everything, the thusness of things, the suchness of things, and then we are no longer deceived. We'd like to talk about the benefits or purpose of the spiritual eye. When the spiritual eye realizes the, the truth of things, the way they really are, their suchness, then life, we are able to see the world and life in a way that they are no longer problems. We see through all these things we call our problems and we no longer make the world and life into our problems. With the spiritual eye, we are able to uncover and uproot all the things we might call the problems of life, or what you might call the burdens of life. All these different things which seem a burden to you. With the spiritual eye, they can be removed so that life is no longer weighed down and burdened by these problems. A further benefit of the spiritual eye is that with it we will be able to, to master and manage patsa or sense contact. As we mentioned yesterday, the sense contact, the sense experience of eye, visual object, and mind coming together, or it happens with the other senses as well. This can stir up, it can condition and concoct into all sorts of problems when it is not managed and overseen properly. But with the spiritual eye, we can supervise we can guide, keep this patsa, this sense contact, under control that so it is not the source of any problem. This is something of great practical importance in our lives because our daily life, each hour and each minute, is made up of nothing but these sense contacts. And if we can manage them properly, with mindfulness and wisdom, then there will be no problem 
conditioned and brewed up by sense contact. This is the second benefit of the spiritual eye. The next benefit is that through the spiritual eye or vipassana, we will be able to control or manage this thing called egoism. As we mentioned yesterday, egoism gets out of control and causes all sorts of problems, leading to all kinds of selfishness and defilement. The physical eyes can't even see this thing called egoism. There's no way you can see egoism with your eyes, your physical eyes. It takes the spiritual eye of vipassana, of insight, to, to see this egoism and understand how it works, see its problems, and see the way of controlling it or even eliminating it. Those of you who have seen egoism already, who are aware of it, will realize the great importance of this, how, how wonderful this benefit of the spiritual eye is that allows us to bring egoism under control. If you've really seen egoism for what it is, then you'll be most willing to eliminate it. You realize that egoism is just a fantasy, an illusion. It's not really real. It's just a silly idea in our minds. But those of you who have not really seen egoism clearly may still be interested in this. It still may have some attraction to you. You may feel some identification with your ego. In this case, at least be interested in using the spiritual eye to develop egoism in the correct way so that it does not lead to defilement. But it's best to just eliminate this illusion of ego altogether because when there is egoism, there is self-centeredness and selfishness. And so if we can eliminate this silly business altogether, we will really benefit from the spiritual eye or the eye of life. Those of you who have had some insight into egoism will realize that this is Satan. Those of you who have heard about Satan or the devil and never really understood what was being talked about, if you thought this business of Satan was some silly fairy tale, then you've missed the point. Satan is egoism. Ego arises, and this egoism gets out of control and runs amok. It goes berserk, doing all kinds of petty, ugly, selfish things, causing a great deal of tukka, pain, suffering, harm, for both ourselves and others. This is what Satan is. 
this egoism running berserk through our lives, creating all kinds of havoc and problems. The spiritual eye of Vipassana is able to see through this Satan, bring Satan under control, and ultimately defeat Satan. This is the power of Vipassana, that is, it is able to defeat the devil. In Thai, we call Satan Man, which comes from the Pali word Mara. Mara is the one who destroys goodness, destroys peace and tranquility. Mara is the destroyer of correctness, of perfection. This is the name for Satan in Pali, Mara, the destroyer of what is calm, pure, and correct. We don't even know who Mara is. We haven't even seen Mara in its truth. And then we go and worship it. We worship Mara because we don't know it. Or actually, it's more correct to say that our defilements worship Mara. There's no us who's worshiping Satan. It's just the defilements of greed, anger, hatred, foolishness, possessiveness, jealousy, stupidity. These defilements are what worships Mara. Through these defilements, there arise all kinds of selfish behavior. And this selfishness creates all sorts of problems which grow into crises. Crises in the family, in the community, in the nation, and in the world. We can see these many, many crises that are tormenting the world today. And they all grow out of Mara, or Satan, that has gotten out of control and run amok because we don't have the spiritual eye that is needed to control this, this problem. All these crises are, are destroying our world. If we could only bring these crises under control, if we could master Satan so that it was no longer able to cause all these problems, then peace would, uh, would arise naturally in the world. There's a lot of people talking about building or creating peace. You can't really build peace. It's already there. All we have to do is stop cluttering up the peace with crises in conflict. If we would merely bring Satan under control, we would discover peace immediately. We don't have to build it or create it. Just harness, limit, and defeat Mara or Satan. This is the benefit of the spiritual eye.
further benefit of the spiritual eye is that it will enable us to live in this world that is more and more crowded and filled with things which lure us, deceive us, attract us, and betray us. The modern world that we live in is growing and developing in all kinds of consumer products which are there merely to attract us, to arouse us, to stimulate us, excite us, and in the end, trick us. All these wonderful, attractive, delicious things that are being created by modern technology, by so-called industry, these things are all illusions. They attract us and delude us. They deceive us, causing us all kinds of problems. They trick us into being excited by them. We, we throw ourselves into these things. We bury our minds in them. We are led astray by them. They make us happy, excited, to the point where we forget ourselves. We lose our minds over these things. And in the end we get so carried away that sometimes we kill ourselves or go crazy because of all these deceitful, attractive things. We don't see these things for what they are, as merely bait to lure us and trick us. Lacking the spiritual eye of vipassana, we don't understand what is happening. We don't see the power and influence all these things have over us. But if we are going to survive in this modern world in which these baits and lures more and more dominate our lives, there are more and more of them every day. If we're going to survive in this world, we need the spiritual eye to allow us to see these things for what they are in order that they won't have such power and influence over us. This is a very powerful benefit of the spiritual eye of Vipassana. It will allow us to survive in this, this modern world that is more and more filled with consumer products. And next, the highest benefit of Vipassana. Through Vipassana, it will be possible to oversee, master and supervise the internal sense objects. What we were just talking about were external sense objects, all these beautiful, attractive, deceitful things which are outside of us, which are luring us and tricking us. These are external. Vipassana also enables us to master and control the inner sense objects. Specifically, these inner sense objects which are causing us even more trouble than the external things are what are commonly called in English the emotions. 
the emotions of sensual love, emotions of hatred, emotions of fear, the emotion of worry, the emotion of greed, of jealousy, and so forth. All these internal emotions happen because there isn't the eye of wisdom or the spiritual eye to keep the situation under control. And so these emotions are cooked up. They are concocted within the mind. And then they have a very powerful influence over the mind, which disturbs, annoys, and causes a great deal of pain, harm, suffering, and tukka, all on the mental level. With the spiritual eye, however, it is possible to either eliminate these emotions so that they don't happen. With the spiritual eye, these harmful emotions will not arise, and therefore they won't be able to cause their problem. Or at least, it will be possible to limit the emotions so that they do not become dangerous, so that the emotions may arise to some degree, but without endangering and confusing and harming life. This is a very supreme and exalted benefit of vipassana, of this kind of practice and training in which the reality of things are seen. This is the highest benefit of vipassana. It allows us to control and master the emotions so that they cause us no more problems and pain. Now we'd like to look at the meaning, the meaning of the word vipassana. We can see that vipassana has both a literal meaning and then a more allegorical meaning. First, we'd like to mention, talk about the literal meaning. The word vipassana or vipassana, vipassana literally means to see clearly or see brightly. We means clearly or brightly. Patsana means to see. So vipassana or vipassana means to see clearly. What we mean by seeing brightly or clearly is to see something, whatever it is, from all the different angles and to see that thing in all its many aspects. This means to clearly see what it is, where it comes from, what purpose it has, what are its attractive qualities, what is its danger, how does it deceive us, how can we escape from the dangers of that thing, how can it be used wisely. To see something clearly is to see it in these different respects. And this explains the literal meaning of the word vipassana, to see clearly. 
Now for the more profound meaning, the, the true meaning of the word vipassana. Vipassana is to penetrate into the deepest reality of something. In Pali, the Buddha called this yatabhuta yana tatsana, the correct vision and knowledge of things as they really are. Because we're lacking in insight and vipassana, we now don't see things as they really are. We see them in a deceived, clouded way. We're deluded by them and we tend to, or we make things into dualism. We have a discriminating, dualistic perspective on things, separating them into categories of good and bad, pretty and ugly, male and female, right and wrong. These dualities with which we perceive things deceive us and lead to many problems. This happens because we're lacking in vision and knowledge of things, correct vision and knowledge of things as they really are. The real meaning of vipassana is this correct vision and knowledge of things as they truly are. That enables us to see things for what they are. Things are neither good nor bad, neither right or wrong, neither male or female, left or right, or any of these other dualistic properties. With this correct vision of things as they truly are, everything, whether we would discriminate it as good or bad or whatever, is then seen as datata, just the way it is, just like that, just suchness, thusness, datata. This is the true meaning of vipassana, this seeing things as they truly are, not as dualities, not as something that has an opposite or a dualistic mate, but just seeing things as they actually are. And in this way, they will not cause all the conditioning and problems that are dualistic confusion leads to. We've mentioned the letter, the literal meaning of the word vipassana, and then the more profound dhamma meaning. Now we'd like to mention its value, the value of vipassana. Actually, we already did, and so we'll just summarize the five benefits or values of vipassana to review them for you. There is the benefit of knowing life and the world in such a way that they are no longer problems. The second value is that we will be able to control and master sense contact. The third is that egoism will be brought under control and eliminated. The fourth benefit or value of vipassana is that it will enable us to live in this world 
that is increasingly filled with deceiving and attractive sense objects. And then the fourth or the fifth value is that we will not be deceived by any sense object, most of all, the internal sense objects of the emotions. These are the five values of Vipassana. I hope that you can remember them all, study them, reflect upon them, so that you will truly begin to see the wonderful benefit of this thing called Vipassana. If you really think about this, you will start to fall in love with Vipassana. If you truly think about the meaning of these five values, of the value of Vipassana, you'll see that there is nothing of more value that you can do. And so please think about this. Reflect upon the, the benefit of being able to see life in the world such that they don't cause problems. Being able to master sense contact, control egoism, not be deceived by all those attractive, tricky sense objects out there, and be able to keep the emotions from causing any danger or harm. Realize these, and then you will be in love with the Vipassana. And now we'll summarize the everything we've said about Vipassana in just a few freight, a few words. Both the literal meaning, the more profound meaning, and the value of Vipassana can be summarized as the thing that life must have. Vipassana is the thing which human beings must have. It's absolutely necessary for human beings to have this thing. With Vipassana, life will be correct. We'll see life correctly as it genuinely is and be able to know what to do in response to the many things that life offers us. Without Vipassana, we don't understand what is happening, we don't see the processes at work, and we make many, many mistakes. Physical, physical mistakes, and most important, mental and spiritual mistakes, such as attachment, clinging, grasping, which cause great harm and tukka in this world. Vipassana is the thing that human beings need to have. It is the thing that is necessary for life. This is the summary of everything we've been saying about insight, the spiritual eye. The spiritual eye will tell us three things. When we look at life, the spiritual eye will answer the following three questions. Where does it come from? Where is it going? And how will it get there? When we look at life, we can ask ourselves, where does he come from? Where is he going? 
and how will he get there? The spiritual eye can answer these three questions. For instance, if we ask, where does life come from? If we talk on the physical level, it's a very, very complicated thing. And so we'll leave that for physical scientists to explain. Today we'll talk about on the level of Dhamma. Then the answer is quite simple and clear. Life comes from your own ignorance. Life comes from ignorance. From not understanding there arises life. And where is he going? Life is heading towards Nibbana, towards enlightenment, towards perfect peace, egolessness, and freedom. This is where life is going. And how will he get there? Through controlling sense contact, through controlling egoism, and these other things which we have mentioned. Vipassana will answer these three questions. Why don't you remember these three questions so that they could be answered? Where does it come from? Where is it going? Where is it headed? And how will it get there? Through what means and way will life get where it's going? These are the three questions which the spiritual eye of life will answer. The Egyptians are a very ancient civilization, older even than the Chinese and the Indians. The Egyptian civilization goes back a very long way and the Egyptian people are not lacking in a deep sense of spirituality. You may have heard about, seen or read about, one of the important images of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had a very important image called the Sphinx. The Sphinx can be seen in two aspects, a demonic aspect and a divine aspect. And the story, the legends or myths about the Sphinx goes something like this. A traveler who would be walking down the road would come across the Sphinx. And the Sphinx would ask the traveler, where are you coming from? Where are you going? If the traveler could not answer the question correctly, then the Sphinx would kill him or eat him. This is the demonic or satanic aspect of the Sphinx. However, if the traveler could answer the question correctly, the traveler knew where he came from and where he was going, then the Sphinx would kill itself. The Sphinx would bury its head in the ground and then die. This is the divine aspect of the Sphinx. Long, long ago in Egypt, they saw the value and importance of these questions. 
their spiritual understanding had developed sufficiently to seek answers to these important questions. And they, they used the sphinx, the metaphor or simile of the sphinx, to show that simple, conventional answers were not enough. One has to really know where one comes from and where one is going. With the spiritual eye of Vipassana, one can answer these questions. And then the sphinx will kill itself. This is how to defeat the sphinx, to destroy Satan, to defeat Mara, the tempter, with the eye of Vipassana. You know, really what you, each of you ought to do is you ought to get a little sphinx statue somewhere and put it on the desk in your office or on your dresser at home so that the Sphinx is always asking you where are you coming from and where are you going? And then Vipassana will help you to answer the Sphinx. Where are you coming from and where are you going? One of the great benefits of Vipassana its power is that it can answer these very ancient and necessary questions. We can also summarize Vipassana by saying Vipassana is the thing that will give man the best thing which a human being ought to receive. Vipassana will deliver the best thing that a human being ought to receive. Without vipassana, in fact, we're not truly human. Without really seeing things as they truly are on the most profound level, we're not completely human. We haven't truly reached the fullest meaning of what it is to be a human being. Human being is the English translation of the word in, in Thai, manut, or in Pali, manusaya. Manusaya literally means to have a lofty mind, to be high-minded. This is what we mean by human beings, a being that exists on a very high level of consciousness. Without vipassana, this cannot be fulfilled we are not really fulfilling the meaning of what it is to be a human being. We're merely sentient beings, half-humans, semi-humans, or, or maybe not even human at all. Vipassana is absolutely necessary to truly be a human being. Vipassana is this thing that gives the best thing that a human being ought to receive, the best thing which human beings need to realize. And now to speak of the fruit or result of vipassana. The result of vipassana when it is correctly practiced is coolness. Vipassana leads 
to coolness. We mentioned this yesterday, the word coolness. We can talk about two kinds of coolness that are realized through vipassana. The first kind of coolness is temporary. It's a temporary, maybe very fleeting coolness in which the fires of the defilement go out for a short period of time. And then there is a coolness. This in Pali is called nibuti, nibuti. It's cool. It's not complete coolness, utter coolness, but it can't really be called hot either. This is only temporary. But then there is a kind of coolness that is total and complete. This is not a physical kind of coolness. It has nothing to do with temperature. We're just talking about the coolness of the mind when all the fires of emotion, of conflict, of stress, of possessiveness, of defilement and selfishness, when all these fires are cooled completely, when this becomes permanent, it is called Nibbana. Nibbana is this complete coolness. When there is Nibuti, the temporary coolness, more and more it culminates in Nibbana, complete, utter, permanent coolness. This is a very concrete fruit of vipassana. It is something that can be directly experienced today. Therefore, it is very concrete and tangible. Coolness is the result of vipassana. In the little time that remains, we'd like to discuss an outline or overview of vipassana. There are three basic factors involved in this outline of vipassana. These are three types or aspects of correctness which must exist for there to be vipassana. In Pali, these are called sila, samadhi, and panya or banya. Two of these words you've already heard. Sila is translated usually virtue or morality. It's correct living, it's correctness on the physical, social, and verbal level. What we do and think, what we do and say is correct. Samadhi is, has to do with concentration, mindfulness, it's meditation or one aspect of meditation. And then banya, wisdom, the knowledge act <clears throat> aspect. So there must be morality, concentration, and wisdom. All these must be correct for there to be vipassana. The first of these aspects, sila, or virtue, morality, is like a foundation on which the mind rests. It's like the ground the earth which supports the mind. The essence of sila is 
correctness of body. The body is correct in how it behaves, how it acts, and how it relates to other people, other bodies, and the environment. This is sila. Sila is correctness of body. And the next samadhi is correctness of mind. Samadhi, concentration or meditation, is basically the preparing of the mind, developing it and training it in various ways until it is appropriate and proper for to make it ready for the business of vipassana. There are many, many different ways of developing samadhi, but they are, if they are correct, they are all the same in that they make the mind appropriate and ready for vipassana. Sila is the body mode of this outline of vipassana. Samadhi is the mental mode, and then panya, or we could call it vipassana, wisdom or insight, is the knowledge mode or the spiritual mode. In wisdom or vipassana, what we're talking about is knowing the necessary things correctly. Panya or wisdom is correct knowledge of the things that need to be known. We don't have to know every petty little trivial detail in the universe. There's just certain things that must be understood. And to understand these things properly, rightly, is the meaning of wisdom. All the different things that need to be known and the way that they can be known or the way that they should be known can be summarized in one word. And this word is tatata. The summarize of the spirit the summary of the spiritual mode or banya wisdom is datata, suchness, thusness, just thus way. To see anything or everything as datata, suchness, means that the mind is free of any clinging or grasping at that thing. There is no egoistic identification towards something as I or mine no desire to be or become. Things are seen just as they are, no longer in any deluded, habitual, obsessive way. They are merely seen as da-ta-da, da-ta-da, suchness or thusness, the way things are. And so this outline of vipassana has these three aspects, the body mode, the mental mode, and the spiritual mode of sila, morality, samadhi, concentration, and panya, wisdom. But altogether, these three aspects make up a whole. They are three aspects of one thing, not three separate, distinctive things. Some people try to separate these aspects off and say, just practice morality or just practice meditation, or just practice wisdom. You can't do that. You can't just pick and choose one or the other. 
they make up a unit. These are three aspects of one unity, which we are calling the outline of vipassana. Bringing together morality, meditation, and wisdom. Morality, or the body, mental, and spiritual modes together. Then there is the one thing that we call the outline of vipassana, which enables us to, to live correctly. The last mode, banya, is most important. It is banya, wisdom, which controls sila, the body mode. Without banya overseeing morality, morality will not be correct. And banya must also oversee the mental mode. Without wisdom, meditation can become foolish or merely a silly ritual. And lastly, banya must oversee itself so that wisdom does not become merely cleverness, intellectualism, or or cynicism. Banya must be correct. And so these three aspects of the whole, when developed and brought together fully, allow us to live correctly. Details about all this will have to wait for a later day. We've used up today's time, and so we will end today's talk on this point of the outline of Vipassana. Thank you for coming.